Good morning, church. My name is Laura, and I'm excited and clearly a little nervous to not just proclaim good news today, but to celebrate it. I'm coming to you, as we often hear ourselves say, as one among you, learning alongside you. You'll hear me talk a little bit later about uh, a season of my life in Chicago when I didn't own a car and rode public transit everywhere. I had a bus driver that I had regularly who would always say, hold on to something, when we were taking off because the bus was always crowded and people were standing. So hold on to something because we have some work to do together today. Church, today we celebrate the good news that God's vision of justice is all about community. We are meant to do this together in all of our flawed, messy humanness. Embrace your own healing so that you can open your hearts to the risk of mutuality and sacrificial justice. In our text today, we can almost see a conversation happening across the centuries, across scripture. Certainly within each community that we heard about, there's some kind of conversation happening, but also, all the way across all four passages. And not all of them are necessarily saying exactly the same thing or agreeing with each other. Boaz seeks justice with his community after Ruth calls him to do so. The Psalms remind us how easy it is to lose sight of God's call to his people for justice. Jesus gets into it a little bit on generational justice with the Pharisees. And the author of Timothy guides him on who should be the focus and recipient of the church's support. In each conversation, justice of some kind is the whole point. And in each one, it's clear that God's intent is for this to happen in community. My tradition that I grew up in usually involves a good 45 minutes or an hour of preaching, and I could certainly find enough to say to cover all those time, all those minutes. However, <laughs> Lucas already has my walk-off music keyed up, just in case. <laughs> and um, in the interest of getting us out of here in a reasonable hour, we're going to focus on our Ruth passage and our Matthew passage. In Ruth, as we heard last week, Ruth has challenged Boaz to be faithful to the command of the law of redemption, as it's laid out in Leviticus. And in our passage today, we see that he rises to that challenge and goes out to seek out his community at the city gates to bring about this justice. Not only does this pursuit of justice for Ruth and Naomi affect them, but it has generational and even longer-term implications, as we heard. Ultimately, Ruth births the grandfather of David, who is the ancestor of Jesus. Boaz is an archetype for God here. He longs to bring justice and healing to his family, to his kin. And even though he has to be nudged in that direction a bit, he commits to not only providing for Ruth and Naomi, but pursuing the generational justice that will continue their lineage and legacy. None of them did this by themselves, and certainly none of them did it cleanly or perfectly. It was pretty messy. Naomi encouraged Ruth to take a really big risk in how she pursued Boaz. And Ruth, like Josie showed us last week, took it even farther than that. Boaz pursued that same justice, not just by going to their closer kinsmen and saying, hey, do you want this or do you want me to do it? But in going to the city gates with the elders and saying, here's our situation, here's what I would like to do. 
you know, are you with me in this? Do you approve? They all took significant risk, which could have led to damaging outcomes for all of them. And they opened their hearts to each other in a really difficult situation that for Ruth and Naomi particularly could have been life or death in some ways. It's worth noting here that Ruth and Naomi were poor, marginalized women. And often through scripture, we see the theme that these poor and marginalized people are the ones who call those in power to justice. Ruth isn't young, she has no children, she has no prospects, she's not even Jewish. She has no standing with Boaz, no guarantee that this risk she's taking will work out well. Naomi is wounded by all of the loss she's experienced. She's worked for all these things all her life, and now they are all gone, and she is bitter. Yet both of these are the ones God uses to bring justice. This process where those without standing or privilege are used to call the powerful to justice is a theme throughout Scripture. And what an example is that of our good news? God's vision of justice is all about community. We're meant to do this together in all of our messy human diversity, no matter who we are, no matter how much power we have in a community, no matter whether we have a clue what we're doing or not, we are called to do that justice together. So embrace your own healing, as both Ruth and Naomi did, and open your hearts to the risk of mutuality and sacrificial justice. Another place where we see this process of figuring out justice with our communities is when we see Jesus and some Pharisees having a discussion, maybe an argument, about the way God's direction and commandments should be followed. They challenge him on a principle that his disciples don't seem to be following, and he responds with a challenge on their approach to the concept of the Hebrew word korban, which is essentially a, a concept that describes temple sacrifice. In the traditional practice, which we actually kept hearing about in 1 Timothy, this concept was often distorted into a way of using religious piety or an action that was public to avoid doing the actual justice that God requires of us. In this case, taking care of your family, of your aging parents, of widows or orphans in your community. It's a way of slapping a religious label on something that's actually perpetuating injustice. Any of us that have been remotely connected to our modern religious establishment might find this a little bit familiar. This practice of discerning and discussing together what justice should look like in public was actually a very common thing in Hebrew religious culture. Often it stemmed from differences of the way people thought about justice, of the way they approached it with their specific groups of people, and how God's calling and commandments were practiced. In this case, Jesus is challenging his fellow religious leaders to move out of a place of safety, out of, well, we've always done it this way, and into truly discerning whether their actions and the actions they were leading their communities to were bringing about justice. Everybody involved here had different perspectives. We don't know if they ever actually agreed. They challenged each other, they argued, they aired each other's business in a public forum, and they laid each other's actions out to be discussed. All this public discussion of how we should live and what our motivations are is a little counterintuitive for me. I don't know about y'all, but I grew up in a community that valued privacy 
and resented too much input or adjudication or anything from the outside. Family business was family business, and you didn't really talk about it with anybody else. So this idea of working things out with your community, of kind of being like, look, here it is. What do you guys think? It's a little threatening. It's a little weird. It's certainly counterintuitive. But that's exactly the challenge and encouragement we're given here. God's vision of justice is all about community. We're meant to do it together. We're meant to be messy and human and diverse and come from different perspectives and think different thoughts and work it out together. But in order to do this, we have to embrace our own healing so that we can get out of our own way and embrace that mutuality, that sacrificial justice that we're called to. So, Laura, why exactly is this good news? What is the benefit exactly in calling us to open our hearts to, to sacrifice? How does Boaz marrying Ruth and Jesus calling out some Pharisees, how does that give us a vision of community justice? Are we getting ahead of ourselves? Are we getting above ourselves in thinking this way? Let's talk about that for a second. Most of our modern culture prioritizes the very individualism I just talked about. It would teach us to place a high value on personal security, financial, emotional, otherwise. The economy is all weird. We don't know what's going to happen in the future, so make sure you save up and you have enough to take care of yourself and your family. Also, protect yourself emotionally. The world's a dangerous place. We can only count on ourselves and maybe a few friends to, to keep us safe, to be vulnerable with. And maybe even the church might hurt you. So create that protective barrier, set those really strong boundaries, and be careful. Now let me pause for a second here and say this. Neither of those principles I just said is necessarily a bad thing. The way that we approach them and the way that we isolate ourselves within them and allow them to remove us from the community that's pursuing justice that God calls us to, that's when we get into trouble. God's economy redefines security. It redefines family and community, not in terms of me and mine or my birth family or the blood relatives, but in light of whether we're pursuing justice together with the communities we're placed in. His vision of justice envisions collective security and a collective flourishing where everyone has enough and nobody goes without. When I was in my early 30s, I somewhat inadvertently put myself in a position to experience this. And that protective isolation that I had grown up with started to erode. Most of my friends were living in the city of Chicago. I was still out in the burbs. I wanted to live near my friends. So I moved into a community called Humboldt Park that was mostly Hispanic and black. And I moved into an apartment right on the corner of Pulaski Road that was sitting on a gang boundary. In all of my naive North suburbanness, I had zero idea what I had walked into. I was just beginning to understand what injustice really even was outside of the intellectual concept I had of it. I was nowhere near understanding what it meant to do justice with my community, to live it out in action in a day-to-day -day basis. And I just lost my place. Here I am. <laughs> so once I'd been living there for a few weeks, I began to notice that 
the neighbors across the street regularly got stopped and questioned by police, by other officials. I saw a friend's son be arrested for a shooting because he looked like the guy who had actually done it. And I ended up befriending the homeless woman at the bus stop on the corner because she wouldn't quit talking to me. <laughs> so we got to know each other. <laughs> the resulting experience was that I was suddenly living in proximity to the very things I'd been taught to isolate myself from, and holy cow did this trigger me. Fear and anger, defensiveness, and even superiority showed up, and I was like, I'm sorry, what's happening? <laughs> For a long while, I pretty much just hid in my apartment, and I would leave to go to work, or I would leave to go to my church back on the north side of Chicago, or I would leave to go and socialize or shop somewhere else. Then three things happened in fairly rapid succession. My car died, totaled it in a flood, so couldn't jump in the car and run away anymore. My mom passed away unexpectedly of brain cancer. And because I couldn't go to my comfortable church anymore, I started attending a little Puerto Rican church down the street with a couple friends of mine. I was one of maybe seven or eight non-Hispanic folks at this church. It wasn't any bigger than ours, so we stood out a little. <laughs> While these events weren't necessarily connected, God was at work to confront me with my bubble. I had to embrace my own need for healing, for some paradigm shifting, and from some other deep-set beliefs that had kept me isolated. You all heard in my last sermon how even just being single in the church was I allowed that to isolate me. So there are a number of layers to this. I had to figure out how to pursue my own healing, how to allow my community to teach me and help me grow. Or it was sort of like, what was the point? What was I doing there? I also had to allow God how to teach me, God to teach me to pursue his vision of justice instead of my own financial security, my own emotional safety, or even my own intellectual superiority. When my bubble popped <laughs> and I was constantly faced with justice, my self-protectiveness didn't work. My emotional and mental challenges, they were real. I had some work to do myself, but in being in proximity to these issues of justice and learning from this community I had placed myself in, sorry, bud. <laughs> learning from this community that I had placed myself in, it forever changed me. I, I could not have done that or grown in that direction by myself. I needed to take that sacrificial risk, even though I didn't entirely realize I was taking it when I moved into this community. And despite my fear of screwing up, of hurting somebody in my insensitiveness, or somehow losing my security, this experience, it's ongoing. It still informs and affects my life consistently reminding me of this good news that we're celebrating today. God's vision of justice is all about community. We're meant to do this together. We're meant to be messy about it. Embrace your own healing so that you can open your heart to the risk of mutuality and of sacrificial justice. So, friends, as we approach the table today to make Eucharist together, Take a second. What is coming online in your body 
in your mind, in your spirit, as you think about this? What healing might you need to pursue so that you can embrace this good news? What would help you move towards a place of opening your heart to this pretty scary risk of sacrificial justice, of seeking mutuality, of pursuing this together in what will inevitably be a messy process? As you reflect, be reminded that those things, mutuality, community justice, messiness, diversity, they're worth it. The risk of opening your heart is 152% worth it. And we're all called to share in this collective flourishing, even as we're called to be a part of creating it. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. <laughs>